recorded at Get a Grip Studios in Toronto, Canada, a Get a Grip management production and in association with the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Financially supported by the good folks at the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors, this is Restoring Darkness podcast. This episode of Restoring Darkness is brought to you by Evluma. If you're serious about contributing to the reduction of light pollution, go to evluma.com, hover over products, and click on Dark Sky Friendly Lighting. Both the Omnimax and Max lights are International Dark Sky Association certified. The warmer color temperatures of the Omnimax reduce the more easily scattered blue wavelengths, which contribute to glare and sky glow. With Max lights, you get full cutoff, which also means no uplight and a significantly reduced contribution to sky glow. And all of Avluma's outdoor lighting product lines come with dimmable drivers for even more control. If your customer is looking for dark sky friendly fixtures with energy savings while still meeting the demands of decorative lighting, look no further than Evluma. Evluma, illuminating the pursuit of dark skies. Welcome back, folks, to the Restoring Darkness podcast. Now, to those of you that don't listen to Get a Grip on Lighting, this is Peter Brown. He's a longtime friend of the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast and a personal friend of mine as well. I've known him forever. Um, how to describe his career, I'll give you a quick thing. He's pretty much done everything. And today we're going to talk about why the lighting industry has barriers and resistance towards um, dark sky, darkness friendly, darkness restoration adoption. How's it going, Peter Brown? It's going great. Good to see you again. You're, uh, I love your hats. I mean, uh, where, where's Stargaze or whatever that was? I, I'm a little disappointed that I'm, you know, but whatever. You have the same haircut that as special. me. That's why when everyone complains about the hats, they say they forget their hat. I say, look, I'm bald, man. You got, you got, but I can't say that about you. Fine. How's that? <laughs> there you go. Um, so you're no dark sky expert. And we talked about that before the phone, uh, before the, before the call, we talked about that on the phone. And we also discussed, you know, sort of, um, you know, how, you know, um, you know, you're more focused on inter- interior, uh, illumination and that in your career. But what I wanted to ask you, as as a person that's had a long career in lighting in all different avenues and different levels of the channel, where does the resistance to the adoption of darkness-friendly lighting come from? I, you know, I was thinking about this this morning, and I, and I and a couple of thoughts. I don't know if it's so much resistance as it is just maybe a more combination of apathy. It's hard to get behind something that kind of comes with a negative connotation. Now, what I mean by that is, instead of saying stargaze or starlights or something that's positive, meaning that you want to see the stars, you want to see everything that's up there, and to get there, you have to have whatever you need as far as artificial light control and whatever. So that may be part of it. I I don't know, but to me, it's always hard to get behind a negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, where you're talking about controlling the light. And when you say that and, and you, you give the connotation that you're going to have less light, then you have a resistance from just the population. And I wrote down a couple of things. I said, when, what, what percentage of the U.S. population sleeps outdoors? Not zero. Yeah. Yeah. Zero. And, and so, zero. Right. And, and so 
for people to get behind it, it's hard for them to grasp it. It's one of those nice to haves, but don't have to have. I, has this ever been polled as far as saying, how important is this to you? And, you know, I would assume it's really low from a, from a, um, uh, an important standpoint. So I think that's part of the reason why the lighting industry doesn't get behind it because it's just not seeing a lot of push from the ground up other than for a very small group of people that are concerned about it. And See, so, I, think, I think you hit the nail on the head there though. When you talked about um, stargazing and astronomy, I think the issue is not being articulated correctly. And um, you know, when, when you talk about like the, even the term dark sky, like that doesn't make, that doesn't really inspire anybody or really point to what the actual problems are with, you know, the transition. See, the international dark sky created was, was created a long time ago to, to address issues with astronomy and stargazers. And, um, they were talking about metal halide and low pressure sodium and high pressure sodium lights. What's happened since then is that the LED lighting bonanza um, has made the, the light pollution issue significantly worse. And do you think it's more of an issue where I, I find one of the biggest problems in, in, in anything in the, in the modern area is the failure of people to admit they were wrong. And do, do you think that the problem here is that if the issues if the lighting industry gets behind this is why i say darkness restoration if the lighting is, industry gets behind darkness restoration does it mean that everyone made a big mistake and we did everything wrong and is that the is that what's causing sort of the barrier to to take off in your mind i it may be part of it when you were talking i thought of why not say dark earth light sky I mean, rather than dark sky. I mean, because that's what you want. You want you want the earth to be dark so you can see the light in the sky. So it, it's just, I, I think part of it is just the way in which it's been presented. Uh, and it's for hard for people to get behind that. And so, but as far as, I think the industry in general just... It, it, it seems to have a negative connotation. And what I mean by that is, uh, as far as a practical standpoint, if you go and put in lighting, for example, let's just say you have poor lighting in a parking lot for a school district and the schools butt up to residential. And all of a sudden you put in LEDs, they're glare. Now you've got to go up and put on some sort of dividers or screens or something on the fixtures to cut the light pollution into the homes. So that general connotation of that you, you could say, you know, extra adder or whatever you want to call it on projects doesn't help the overall situation. And it's justified. I mean, people, you know, all of a sudden you've got light glaring in your windows at night. You don't want that. So I think the other part of it is when people think of dark and light from a safety standpoint, I mean, I, I can remember, oh gosh, now what, 15, 20 years ago, converting HID parking garages over to fluorescents um, and people wanting to put controls and sensors on them. And the, the most pushback was from women saying, when I walk off the elevator on a floor, I want to see light. I, I don't feel comfortable when I come off, even if I know I'm going to step off and it's going to, the lights are going to come on. That immediate impression is 
I'm not safe. And so I think that, again, dealing with people that don't spend a lot of time looking at the sky and so on, it's, it's all of those things put together. Sa the word safety is, um, I hate it now. It, it has completely lost its meaning. Um, the word safety is used to justify more waste and more, um, like, so what, the way we handled the parking garage issue, and I want to go back to dark skies for a second is we actually put sensors in the, in the, in the foyer of the elevator lobbies. So that turned on the lights before you got into the garage. But long story short with that is that this idea that, you know, as soon as one, someone says they don't feel safe, all bets are off on anything. And, you know, um, it, that's, it's a very difficult question. The balance of safety versus the pros of, of darkness and darkness restoration. Darkness restoration always loses to the, um, what did the uh, Vox Populi Vox D, the voice of the, the population is the voice of God. You know, people complain or the people that seem to want, you know, keyhole to keyhole lit streets and all that seem to be, you know, significantly more powerful than, than the people that are looking at practical solutions. Going back to your parking um, lot, which borders onto a residential area, what I'm always trying to tell the lighting industry, Peter, is that adoption of darkness restoration and preservation ideas means we sell more lights. So the solution to that problem is lower poles and more of them. Mm -hmm. And I don't, and, and the, the other thing is that the biggest opportunity in front of us in the lighting industry is the outdoor lighting play. The question I have for you, and you can, I want you to answer this honestly. Do you believe that light pollution actually is pollution? Oh, um, well, that's, that, that's a very good question. I, just because I'm hesitating, I would say that it's not, but the more you think about it compared to what was there before, then you'd have to say it is. But, you know, from somebody growing up in rural Canada, it's like, it just, you know, you, I think that's part of it too, is you just, you, you, we're all a sum of our experiences and mm -hmm. it just, it, it was never an issue. Um, and you know, fortunately, where, where we are now in Phoenix, we get to see that because it, it, it's, it's probably one of the best cities for lack of light pollution in the overall scheme of things, just because of the number of observatories and stuff within Arizona. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're, if there's no conscious effort, I love that idea of shorter poles and more poles because you're right. That's the question is, the other thing I wrote down was, you know, can you matte black every artificial surface out there so yeah. the light doesn't reflect up? No, that, that yeah. I mean, so the practicality <laughs> of things just isn't there. Uh, so at best, you're going to have, you know, I don't know, is, is there a way in which you could get a strong enough association that said, we're only for utilities for rebate programs. We're only going to incentivize fixtures that have this dark sky component. Maybe that's one way to go after it. So problems that don't have their terminology set out correctly are very difficult to solve. The jargon in the dark sky movement is not set yet properly. And, and one of the things that I think that 
you know, could be helpful from the, you know, people like the International Dark Sky Association is to really set up the, the way we talk about this as an industry. Um, but, you know, you're constantly refer- referencing dark skies and then the word darkness carries with it a, a, um, a sense of foreboding. Um, and so that the problem becomes largely intractable. But, you know, like you said, rebate programs or you have these coastal areas, obviously these problems start um, being solved locally and based on certain priorities locally. So, you know, you Oregon coastlines, perhaps, maybe maybe they'll adopt some of this sort of thing. Um, but how do we, or are you interested? That's a better question. Are you, as a lighting professional, are you interested in taking on this challenge with the industry? No. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, exactly. I, 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 you know, I, I come, I, I, I think... Somebody said a great line uh, last year at Light Fair and talking about circadian lighting and saying that circadian lighting is, is a lot more based on emotion. And unless you get an emotional uh, pitch or, or process or whatever for it, you're, you're going to have a hard time overcoming the financials of it. And so maybe when it comes to you know light sky or stargaze, stargaze or whatever you want to call it on a positive standpoint, that you play on an emotional event and not so much any kind of ROI and so on. And so I, I don't know how that would be marketed, if you will, but it, it certainly is. Um, and I'm just thinking of like the Northern Lights. I mean, you've seen them. Sure. Uh, you, you know, they have these great photography tours where you go up there and of course you're in the middle of nowhere and it's totally dark. And so the experience is fabulous. Uh, but, you know, to I guess you'd almost, it's almost like doing a before and after. You'd have to take some pretty good sized project where you had uh, poor lighting, outdoor lighting, and then you did an after shot with much better lighting and showed the sky as a result. I don't know if that's, you know, a a practical way of doing it. You probably have to have a really big project to do that. So you're looking for metrics. I love it. You're looking for metrics, and that's so intractable in this realm because even the like the idea of darkness is antithetical to metrics. <laughs> like you think about it, like feel, like in your no. mind when we think about it. Now, Mont Magantic, um, who Remy Boucher, who I had on the program in the last episode, he has metrics of you know that his uh, the dark sky park in Quebec and the they have the province on board they have the local municipalities on board and the residents are largely on board so it's a local success story um but yes it's very difficult to um one gain you know the average citizen's emotions into this and two there isn't any real financial payback so you have to pay more and you get less light that is so difficult for the lighting industry to sell. And, and you know, you see so much more benefit from seeing the stars in a rural area where you hardly have any light. So it, it's to be able to come up some way to have required light levels and yet be able to see the sky uh, and, and to pay for it where there's no payback. I, I think that's a very hard uh, venue to go down. Now, I think 
part of it is coming back to what we talked about at the beginning was the connotation of dark versus light. So if you go to starlight or something from a positive standpoint, maybe it's too late to do that because the, the connotation of dark sky is so embedded in people's minds, they're going to go to that no matter what you say now. Mm -hmm. It's impossible. So it's like it's like Fahrenheit for Americans or miles. It's it, inches <laughs> instead of centimeters. It's almost impossible to get out of once it's these systems have a momentum that is very difficult to um, sort of uh, sideline uh, in that respect. Even though you know that you're talking about the term dark sky, or nobody even knows if you get a bunch of lighting professionals around the table, and I start the conversation off with we're talking about darkness preservation and restoration immediately everyone will talk about dark skies that's immediately they will they will not use the term darkness restoration they will talk about dark skies and that's so problematic for us the IDA tries to get over this and the IES by talking about responsible outdoor lighting and that's very sort of obtuse like what does that mean for a prison yard it means being lit up like a prison yard that's responsible <laughs> right for city streets you know if you hear if you hear if you go down to a you know a bylaw office and you what's responsible outdoor lighting they're going to tell you as much light as possible you go to a police station i think same I, thing. I think the only way to overcome this from a practical standpoint is you have to do a reset and so maybe the way you do this is you start to have destination locations, whether it's in this country, your country, wherever, uh, that says, come to here. Here's our here all the things you can do. Oh, and by the way, we have a stargaze area. And so you slowly start. Well, to we have that in flag, Flagstaff in Montmagantic. There, there's lots of dark sky preserves. Um, Arizona is probably the most popular destination in in in. Um, in America, Canada largely is a dark sky park. I mean, I would say ninety percent of it is. There, I make a oh, joke. There's a least. dark sky. Yeah, there's a dark sky viewing area um, in eastern Ontario, and you know it has all these signs. You're in the dark sky area, but really, if you just keep driving north, <laughs> that area extends <laughs> <laughs> for yeah. till the roads end, and you know, and then after that, you get a canoe and you keep going. Um, so you know. The Canadians are at an advantage when it comes to being able to view these things. But this is the biggest single financial opportunity in front of the lighting industry. It means that every single light fixture that's outside in the world practically is at play. But we still see resistance. And I don't understand why the IES or, and the, the, the other lighting and associations are not just jumping on this thing and saying yes let's get behind this the problem is solvable we have the technology we have the knowledge it's not it's not like we don't have the the ability to do it and so i, I don't see I, the resistance i think there's more resistance than more push towards it yeah, in sure. other words you, you've got you've got resistance in the absence of a push to go there and so you've got to come up with ways to push it to overcome that resistance. Because otherwise it's just going to default to the way it has been, which is the resistance. So with, without finding the positives, you're not going to overcome it. 
Well, what are the positives I mean, in your mind? You talked about stargazing and astronomy, which is, which is the default again of all anyone you talk to about this issue. They're going to. There's also wildlife. Circadian is another one. You know, that's an interesting point about circadian, and I'm going to ask you about this. You've been following. You know, the the the, the industry is pushing so hard in the direction of circadian, and I don't think there's going to be any serious adoption of vertical lighting in buildings except for new buildings perhaps where designers are heavily involved but in the existing building stock we have all this talk of you know 200 lux on the vertical plane coming at you and all i don't i as a lighting guy that sold a million deals not a million but tons of lighting deals in his life and you yourself do you see the average you know fifty-five thousand square foot factory with an office uh, putting the lights on the side of their factory or no. in, in any type of no it, the only place I've seen where it is going to work is in some form or another in 24-7 healthcare, where you've got people in an environment for 24-7, and you can show positive financial benefits as far as less falls, um, uh, whatever things can be shown from a financial standpoint that's very trackable because you're in a medical environment. So much of that's tracked and, and, and accounted for. But, <laughs> but, but you know, here, here's, here, here's the thing on that. Look, um, Dr. Mark Ray, in no uncertain terms, told me that, the, uh, that there are specific areas that they know where circadian is extremely effective at helping people. And usually these people are compromised in some way. But I, my belief is that Forget about circadian. Forget about trying to... Everybody thinks that they can... Um, it's much easier to subtract for benefit or subtract negative and then, and then have a positive or, or have less negative pressure than it is to make an, uh, an intervention and make something positive, okay? So an example is um, from... And we're going to go back to dark skies, restoring darkness, listeners. I'm going to get you there in a second. Um, <laughs> no, but an example of like circadian is all circadian lighting. Has, it, the only benefit from circadian lighting is improving sleep. All the other benefits that they talk about are not from actually the lights. They're actually from the improved sleep, right? So the the um the the light tables that they talk about for the alzheimer's patients who are sitting like this with their head down a lot those those that circadian stimulus helps them sleep better you know um the cueing where you know dr wilkerson um had very warm low level lights in the nicu lab come on very slowly and at whatever 2000 kelvin and slowly wake up the mothers and babies and when the nurses came in at wake up time everybody was already awake breastfeeding as opposed to shake hey it's time to wake up the lights are on full and you have this chaos in the morning so what we're doing is subtracting negatives that we know are bad you don't want to walk into a room and flick the lights on when people are sleeping right that that's a we subtract that we subtract the um you know we improve sleep but we, this idea that the general population is going to adopt circadian-friendly lighting systems to gain 2% advantage, and we're going to calculate that on the payroll, is wrong. But by the same principle, if we are subtracting 80% of the light that's wasted outdoors in terms of sky glow, it's just going up into the, out into the universe, 
and you know and we're subtracting these the spillage that's going into someone's yard in some kid's window that's you know reducing his sleep quality if we we know that if we subtract that it's good right and it's like remove sure. remove flicker oh that's good remove it try to insert something that's going to give you a kick up or like a cup of coffee, that's very difficult to measure. Whereas the subtraction we know works. And if we get into, you know, if we start urging the industry into wasting less light going off into the universe, like that doesn't have a, uh, an actual target and isn't planned properly, that's that's a good subtraction. So it saves so, energy. So I, I, yes. I, I, I think you, you just came up with a marketing strategy, and that is that you show two or three areas in the lighting industry where subtraction is good, and then you talk about dark sky as far as removing unwanted light so that you, that you tie it in with the other positives. Just when it sits by itself, it has a really hard time. There's a lack of coherency in the movement. And, you know, in the, in, the, in the darkness restoration and preservation, there's a lack of coherency. And then you have, you know, people talking about fish predation and other people talking about insects and some people, astronomers, talking about that. There needs to be some coherency around the issue. Um, what my po- one of my points is, though, I think the lighting industry should stop pushing the circadian position. Back away from that. Because... I really don't think it's going to be adopted. I don't see a mass adoption strategy across um, the economy and move to the darkness issue, which the circadian issue has no evidence. There's no proof. Everybody's speculating. Oh, we have this study. Now, there's no hard proof. All There's no hard proof except for in certain instances. But we know that darkness restoration has a positive impact, improves sleep, um, helps wildlife, reduces, um, you know, uh, when it's done right, uh, maintains safety, doesn't increase it, but it maintains safety if done correctly, and it sells a ton of light fixtures, <laughs> way more light fixtures and poles. So let's talk about that as far as to the average rep agency, distributor, contractor within the distribution channel of lighting, what percentage of outdoor lighting makes up their mix. I don't know the answer to 99. that. 99.99% is non-dark sky friendly lighting. For sure. Right, but how much how much outdoor lighting is their mix? In other words, if they're selling mm-hmm. 50% of their stuff they're selling every day is outdoor lighting, then they're going to get behind it quicker than if it's only 2%. I don't know what yeah. the number is. Oh, I would say anecdotally it's probably for me and for maybe Greg I would say just off the cuff, it's probably about 30%, 20% of our projects. Really? Yeah. I would really? say that we do a lot of outdoor light. Yep. We do on buildings, okay. wall packs, and stuff like that. But here's the problem, okay? I have never in my career sold a dark sky friendly life. <laughs> well, I sold one to myself, or a couple to myself. <laughs> okay? Um, but, I mean, when you go to talk to someone about it, they it's antithetical to what they're trying to achieve with the lighting. Right. So what you need to do is we're going to put less light and you pay a lot more. <laughs> right. And, you know, and so it's very difficult. It's a difficult sell um, to the average, you know, person. How important then is regulation? That would be the next question. Does it need to be regulated? 
I think politically that'd be a hard thing to sell. I, I, I just, I, I, again, if, if you, if you were out to go out and do a poll and say, how important is A, B, C, D and have 10 things, I would think dark sky would be just like climate change is uh, on the bottom, you know, 10, 20% of what people well, are concerned about. I don't want to get, I don't want to get into an argument about people's opinions on climate change. I prefer the word pollution um, because we can okay. target a type of pollution, you know, and, and then work to fix it. Climate change is, is, um, is a, you know, is a mixed bag of unsolvable problems that are completely intractable. Right. So, you know, the idea of living in Canada is fundamentally based on natural gas and oil. Like you can't at this point in time, there is no technological solution to living in Canada without natural gas. Like it's not possible. People can't, every home in millions of homes are piped with natural gas and heated with natural gas. And to change that infrastructure is enormous, especially when they don't know what they're going to change it to. Um, to replace Heat it. pumps. Yeah. I <laughs> mean, pumps. my house is heated with a heat pump, uh, but you, like, listen, Okay, so in my jurisdiction, 90% of the electricity is clean, nuclear electricity, nuclear power. Well, whatever your opinion on, you can go to these topics, right? Yeah. But it's nuclear, okay? And so my heat pump is simply electrically generated energy. It's not geothermal, okay? So people, they call it geothermal. Geothermal only happens in Iceland when there's a volcano there, right? Heat pumps use a lot of electricity to crank the heat out of the ground. So it's not necessarily a, a good solution. Electric baseboard heaters would be a lot more cost effective than heat pumps would be. And you could just install them. But anyway, off topic, if we, if we look at um, the, the solution, we have the technology to solve this problem. That's my concern. Climate change is very, you know, they, we're going to come up with the technologies. We're going to make it happen. We're going to invent new things. Okay, that's, that's good. But with the darkness issue, it's, a it's not a matter of engineering. It's not a matter of, um, it's not a matter of developing anything. It's a matter of, of deployment. That's it. Or the will to deploy it. Oh yeah, exactly. Like it, it just matter exactly the will to deploy it. Um, yes. yeah. we have the controls. I mean, you could get really like if you had a bird migration, you could reduce the outdoor lighting on the streets of a city and 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 lower the Kelvin temperature. You could do all manner of things. You could, if there was an emergency, you could increase the Kelvin temperature and the light output at an intersection if you needed to. Like the technology so, is all there. So I think that comes back to. It, just as putting it on an, an umbrella, call it sustainability, okay, mm -hmm. for lack of okay. So exactly. there is a a small number of very large companies that have the financial resources and the will to see themselves and present themselves to their customer base uh, as sustainable and in doing something like this, they could financially do it and it wouldn't hurt them, uh, and they would garner some PR and whatever from doing it. But that's just like um, uh, IoT controls or you know, uh, circadian lighting, whatever. It's for a very small part of the marketplace. And so you could have a city block where everything's great, but all around it, it's not. 
Yes, but as far as incremental, listen, problems are solved incrementally. There's no, you know, there's no mass solution to any problem. Um, You know, that doesn't, that doesn't exist. You know, this idea that, you know, you can snap your fingers and everyone's driving electric cars tomorrow. There's, that's not how it, it goes. Um, mm-hmm. but it, you know, so if we can improve incrementally, so what if one block is done and then another block is done and then another block is done? What, what my, my thing is the other thing too, is even the controls aspect of the lighting industry is pushing in the interior, pushing in the in interior environment, looking for a use case, looking for a business case. We all, you and I both know that we accomplished 99% of the energy savings with stupid, dumb past dual technology ox sensors. There's no energy play yep. for these extra controls. It, that that tech, that that problem has already been solved. They're trying to create these other use cases. Outdoor lighting is again the most obvious place for advanced lighting controls. You know, uh, cities would have the employees they could train to manage the lighting, whereas the the average small factory doesn't want to have a person on their lighting controls desk now, but a, a municipality could. Um, so, you know, that again, the controls argument is way more suitable to outdoor lighting than it is to interior lighting at all and in, in all aspects. So let's go back to, you said, you know, the only, uh, project you sold is to yourself. What are the top three reasons why the end user doesn't want to do it? We talked about the resistance of the lighting industry. Let's talk about the resistance of end users who would have to pay for it. What do you find are the top three reasons why people don't want to do it at this point? It's not even that they don't want to do it. It's that it sounds ridiculous. Like, you've done a lighting project, right? Forget about color temperature, lumens, and all this sort of stuff. A lighting project goes wrong after it's done when there's less light. <laughs> That's the bottom line. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, like, uh, it, unless it's so overlit to start with. Yes, but, yeah. but you know what I'm talking about. You go into a factory, oh, we're changing the lights. Why do we have less light after we change the lights? You're going to have a riot on your hands. You always have to deliver them a, a, a perceived increase in light or an actual increase in light. Usually the perceived one is less foot candles horizontally, more more vertically. Light up the factory walls and everybody thinks it's brighter but you actually maybe have less light overall or, or less horizontal foot candles. You've done it at the, back in the linear fluorescent days with T5s. Um, you know, you would put up that T5 fixture. You'd have less light below the light fixture and more light on the vertical surface, and everyone thought it was brighter. So the idea of, of, of going to a, a customer and saying, hey, what we want to do is we're going to address your outdoor lighting by giving you more light fixtures and less light and a lower Kelvin temperature. Because you say, why would I do that? So it doesn't pass the sniff test. Well, this is why it's not the sniff test. It's hard to sit down with someone and say, I need your attention. What's that? I want you to think, I want you to give me the, you know, seven hours over your time over the next six weeks for us to discuss making your factory dark sky friendly. That conversation has never happened in the history of the lighting industry yet. Okay? That doesn't happen. The guy's going, I don't have time for this. You know, the birds can fly over there. I'm, I'm trying to make the widgets in my factory. So those conversations are impossible. This is where municipalities and governments absolutely have to take the lead. This is where 
you have to see the street lights being lowered, more of them put in, cut off wall packs, particularly in new developments. Like, you ever driven through a new development before it's built? It's disgustingly gross because they put the street lights in first, right? And none of the houses are built. And basically, it's a football field. You can see everything in the open land where the street lights are. Have you ever done that? Take a drive through a new development where they put the street lights in first. There's an electrical feed at each thing. The street lights are all in and they all turn on. And you look, all it is is a, a vast wash of light covering the entire field. No matter if the streets curve or not or whatever they've done, they're wasting so many lumens lighting up people's yards and then onto houses and all this sort of stuff. If you were to, they, they, in my opinion, the place to start would be to make dark sky friendly new developments. That would be the place or, to start. Or what if you were able to come up with fixtures that were totally customizable as far as the footprint of light they put out instead of the one through five settings that we now have? Mm -hmm. That's where the controls play comes in. Correct. As far as the control of the light, not the use, not the what, what light is on or not, but actually where the light goes. For so sure. So it's customized to, because to your point, um, because it'd be fascinating to know what percentage of light pollution is from street lighting versus buildings. Uh, I think most of the sky glow come, a lot of it comes from vertical signs as well, like you know, advertising signs and all that? That's an interesting question, more for the IDA than for this guy. But what I'm saying is that I think you're right. I mean, fixtures that can be, um, that can be commissioned to re reduce the angle of output of light, lower the Kelvin temperature, and then you have the controls package on it. If there's an emergency, then you do 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 all the lights come on to full and open wide and you have massive illumination in the area. And then they go back down to their, um, you know, regular uh, low Kelvin temperature, um, more where you need it light on the sidewalk and the road as opposed to everybody's lawn and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I think that's, that, that's what I'm saying to you. This is not an engineering issue. It's not a product development issue. It's a product development issue, but it's not an engineering issue. And it's not a um, research and development issue. The, the technology exists. I think what we need more than anything else, and maybe we'll close with this, Peter, get your thoughts on it. We need the, the environmental movement to get behind this issue. You know, the other interesting play to this may be that all of a sudden, it, for, forever, utilities have said, we don't care. We'd love to sell power at night because we're imbalanced. We do all this power supply in the daytime. We don't do anything at night. Maybe with electric vehicle charging at night, they'll get behind having less light and offering rebates on night lighting. Well, you, you know? didn't answer my question about the environmentalists. You know, I mean, the plastics far, in the ocean crowd, the climate change crowd, you know, what's that um, Swedish girl's name? I think she might be an adult now. Um, Greta Thunberg or Greta Thunberg, you know, that kind of a crowd to get behind it. I mean, we could be counting the dollar. We, could, we, wouldn't, be, we wouldn't be able to count the money as fast as it came in. 
again, I think you come back to have to show, you've got to show, as you said, a positive versus a negative. So you've got to show, here's what it looked like. Here's what it looks like now. Uh, here's this huge patch of plastic in the ocean and now it's gone. Uh, whatever it is that, and, and as you said, we'll kind of go all the way back to the beginning again. There's such a uh, mishmash of messaging going on within the industry that it's hard. It, it, it basically has to really focus on one message so that everybody gets it and sticks with a narrative. Otherwise, you know, it, it's going to, it's, it's just always muddled. It, it's hard to focus on something. We'll call it at that, Peter. Hey, if you made it to the end, this one, I promised you guys to be half an hour. I went 40 minutes. Peter and I get uh, on tangents from time to time, but listen out there, all you lighting professionals nailed is trying to create some industry alignment on the issue. That's step one of our six strategies for darkness preservation and restoration. You can find it on nailed.org or you can look for all of our stuff on social media, industry alignment. That's right. So we're creating an educational program um, based on that and we're trying to bring in all the other frontline, I hate the word frontline too now, but frontline lighting practitioners. So agents, um, controls, integrators, um, contractors, and you know all the people that are on the front lines to educate them. That's a starting point for this issue. So look for that coming out soon. Um, probably three to six months from, from when this episode goes out, we'll be releasing that educational program. We're hoping that all frontline, again, I hate the word frontline, but any frontline lighting practitioners will have receive the same education. That's right. And then it'll be unique. There'll be a module unique to the agents or a module unique to the contractors so that everybody is talking about the same thing. Thank you for listening. Look no further for dark sky friendly products than Evluma. Since its first product launch, Evluma has carried one or more International Dark Sky Association certified models. If your customer cares about light pollution, suggest the Omnimax with shielding or the Ariamax with full cutoff to reduce uplight and glare. Evluma, illuminating the pursuit of darkness.